We are so thrilled to be partnering with Hinge. Hinge is the dating app designed to be deleted. As you all know, I'm a huge Hinge advocate as I met my partner of almost three years on the app. Even before meeting him, Hinge was always my go-to app because I met more relationship-minded people here and had some great dates. Clearly, I haven't been on the app for a little while, but I re-downloaded it to check out some of the new features. One that stood out to me was the voice prompt, my best friend's take on why you should date me, where your friend can hype you up. Not only does this make the profile creation less daunting, but it's not always easy to see your own green flags. So to test it out, I asked UA some fun prompts to get her take on what I could put if I was dating again. So the first one, how long have we known each other? What was your first impression of me and how has that changed? Julie and I have known each other for almost 10 years. My first impression of Julie was that she's very social, but I've learned that she has a lot more depth to her beyond the social butterfly that she is. My next prompt, what do you think are my green flags? I would say she's deeply loyal. She believes in love, curious mindset, and she is fearlessly ambitious. And then last but not least, what kind of friend am I? Julie is the kind of friend who will always have your back, no matter what. Damn, that feels nice to hear. So download Hinge and try voice prompts today. Then find someone worth deleting the app for. I love wine, but sometimes it can get really expensive, which is why I'm so excited that today's episode is brought to you by Last Bottle Wines. If you don't know, they're a Napa-based online wine shop with a twist. They offer just one hand-picked wine per day until it sells out, which is often an hour's. So new day, new wine, always at incredible prices. We're talking 30 to 70% off retail. And the best part is that there's no subscriptions, no fees, and no minimum purchase. Just a daily email with a really great wine. They're offering Datable listeners 10% off your first order with code Datable. And now is such a great time to join as their marathon sale is coming up on March 28th and 29th. They flip that one day rule on its head and offer back to back deals, which means that wines are only up on the site for a couple minutes at a time and shipping is 100% free. They send us a mini marathon package of some of their favorites and let me tell you, they were delicious. Sign up at lastbottlewines.com and use the code datable and find out why Last Bottle is the most fun way to discover and buy amazing wine. Hi, I'm Yui Shu. And I'm Julie Kraftchik. We're active daters turned dating sociologists. Here to dive into everything modern dating and relationships. Welcome to the Dateable Podcast. Hey friends, welcome back for another week of Dateable. We are <laughs> we are entering into a very active dating season. And this is probably why we're getting so many messages and emails in because you are all very actively dating, which is saying a lot. And I think this episode will also help you all navigate this very active dating season. Yeah, this season is always interesting because I feel like we're like getting closer to the holidays, right? Thanksgiving is always a big one of who's going to ask about my relationship status? How do I spin if I'm dating someone, if I'm single? And then I feel like it kind of dies out when you approach like Christmas because everyone's just preoccupied. Like November to December, it's like the holiday rush. So it's almost like this is like the last hurrah, the last chance to get in there <laughs> before the holiday madness starts. And then of course, in January is, you know, the peak season, new madness, new year, new dating life. It's weird that the cycle just repeats itself every year. Yeah. You like, you know what's coming, but then it somehow catches you by surprise. It's like daylight savings. Yeah. Everyone's always like, oh my God, got an hour back. Well, yeah, <laughs> this happens every year. 
but also at the same time, it's like the weather is getting a little mm-hmm. cooler. I, you know, you're not as busy with plans outdoors. So you want to snuggle up with someone totally understandable. Yeah, I remember every year would kind of take me off guard when I went from that peak season to yeah. the lull that's like around the holidays. I remember just being like, why is no one available to meet up? Why is everyone flaking and not talking? Like it, it did hit every year, even though it was the exact same cycle. So it is something that UA and I feel passionate about that we're going to be talking about in a couple weeks. We have a we have a new idea of what this time period could mean for you. We're not going to give away too much though. So keep subscribing and you'll eventually hear. And people think this is what happens. You get so excited because you get into these very passionate, active messaging, back and forth discussions because you met someone on apps or whatever. And like the conversation's hot and heavy and then the holidays come and then it just goes bleh. So it gets you your hopes up and then you're ultimately disappointed, right? Yeah. Does this sound familiar? You're, you're ultimately disappointed come December 30th. I can guarantee you it just happens. But our episode today is really to talk about when someone is interested, do they always initiate? Do they always make that first move? Are they always advancing things physically? What does that really mean? And does that really fit everybody universally? Yeah, we have a great guest, Mike, who actually hit me up on Facebook Messenger was like, he's like, have you done an episode about this topic? It's something I think about quite often, because I'm not like the typical male mold of what you expect in terms of, you know, being that alpha that makes all the moves and like all the stereotypes that you hear of. And I know like as a woman too, or as a hetero woman, you come to expect from men. So he he felt really passionate about this topic. The more he started talking, I'm like, we should just have you come on the podcast. <laughs> Let's just hear You're from perfect. you. Like, we don't need an expert. We just want to hear your perspective because I think there are a lot of gender roles and stereotypes have gotten in our way with dating so much. I remember when we first started this podcast. You, I think you were definitely someone that really got I don't know what the what the right word is. Not like taken over by them, but you really succumb to them, like in the sense that you felt mm-hmm. like things should operate a certain way. Like if a guy wasn't making the move, or he wasn't initiating the kiss, then that was on him. That was his role and responsibility. And I definitely had that stuff seep into I think anyone that you know, is in this maybe elder millennial crowd that has the effects of the rules and all the terrible dating books and gender roles that we had, it's really hard to like unravel from that. It's in addition to the gender roles, it's also timelines. You yeah. think that by yes. the third date, yep. you should have had a first kiss or by the fifth date, you should have slept together. We think that if things don't progress physically that way, then, oh, the other person must not be interested or maybe you're not interested. But sexuality, desire, physical progression in a relationship don't always work linearly yeah. like that. And most people, I would argue, have a very unique way of how they become physically and sexually attracted to someone. It takes me a while. Mm-hmm. But of course, with some alcohol, it takes me two <laughs> drinks. <laughs> so there, there's a shortcut, but then I regret it the morning after. So how do you develop that authentic sexual connection before you move your physical desires forward? 
I actually think that's one of the reasons why dating is so fucked is because what other world, I guess job interviews is a little like this, that there is like a very linear progression. Mm -hmm. But besides, I guess, job interviews and dating, like any other like connection you form, you're not thinking about like, if you meet a new friend, you're not like, this is our third hang, you know, are we on our way to becoming BFFs? Like you don't think about it that way. It's just not the way we process. And I think our like earlier years, like in college and high school, school it's like you just mixed with a bunch of people and you weren't thinking so much like this person needs to be the person I go on a date with it just organically happened that's what's so like stressful about dating right now it's not just meeting this person because I think in that sense it's kind of fun but then it's like what happens after that's where the stress comes in at least it did for me it's a informational interview versus an (laughs) actual job interview if you're going in for an informational interview that could take months years you're just there to get to know each other, get to know the company, the culture. My friend is currently going through this with a tech company and she's like, it might take a few years for them to hire me, but they really want to make sure this is a culture mm. fit. I, I think this this is a difference between IRL dating and app mm-hmm. dating. IRL dating, you may meet this person at a different phase in their life and you're like, something intriguing about them. I just want to get to know them with no milestone goals in mind. But app dating, that's I think that's where the timeline comes in. You feel like, well, we met on the app. Yeah. So there, there's a in, uh, there's a role open at their company, right? Like there's a job open, obviously. And so third date, fifth date, a year, like those milestones all apply. We just put that pressure on ourselves. I agree with you. Like the setup of meeting someone in real life doesn't make that as pronounced. But I do think just the culture that's so infiltrated by app dating even has that seep over to IRL dating. For sure, yeah. It's hard to be like, oh, I'm going to go out on like a couple of dates and not think about like what's next where this going i also think it's totally possible to use apps more informationally and just be like this isn't a date i'm just gonna meet this person i don't need to put this pressure on but i think both of them like take like really conscious unraveling and intention you can't just do what the norm is because then you're gonna fall into that trap this conversation in particular is really about the physicality in a relationship and i do wonder do you think you can progress a relationship without the physical like could you be exclusive, Mm -hmm. but have never kissed? Could we envision that in modern dating today? It's hard. That's what comes up, right? It's like everyone's asking for what's next. It's like, did you kiss yet? Did you have sex? Mm -hmm. All of that is part of that linear progression. So I feel like if you weren't, you would get a lot of comments from outsiders just being like, what's going on? Is everything okay? Mm -hmm. What is happening? Of course, it could work. And that's just tuning out the outside noise and like the pressure to move in a certain way. But I do think the way we've been like trained and programmed, it's definitely opposite of that. Yeah, I think it's hard for me to understand that, for example, I think kissing is imperative for me, because it gives me information about this person and our compatibility. But for other people who have a different sort of desire style, mm-hmm. they may need to feel comfortable first in order for that kiss to mean something. Yeah. So it's hard for me to comprehend that, but there are people like that, right? And we have to recognize everyone's very different in the way they view these physical progression. That's why it's so important to just have these conversations. And I think this episode, it might use terminology that the everyday dater is not super accustomed to. And I actually think that's really good. You don't have to necessarily use like scientific 
scientifics speak with all of this, but just opening up a conversation more than we do today, because today we just make assumptions based on, Mm -hmm. you know, what we've been told for gender stereotypes or how dating works, the third date means sex or whatever, like we have in our head. And you could very much be in a relationship if the two of you were on the same page, you choose what works for the two of you. But that requires communication. It can't just be falling into it, which is what I think dating historically has been just, you know, you just fall in love. It just happens. We don't have to do anything. And that's where there's such a disconnect, right? Is that people see that's not actually how it works. And if you just wait forever, nothing happens and people make assumptions and assume the other person's not interested. It's such a disconnect. And we make this huge mistake of thinking everybody we meet is going to approach dating the way we will. Yes. <laughs> Everyone we meet thinks the way we do. And nobody thinks exactly the way you do. And that's why it's, it's so important to have the conversations instead of assuming that, oh, they didn't lean in for the kiss. They must not be into me. Yeah. You know, that's not the assumption to walk away with. The next action is to inquire about it, get curious about it. So Yue, you just got back from a trip to China. I know I always like hearing like the parallels of the differences. Like was there anything new or anyone you talked to or anything that came up that you were just like, wow, this is a very different stance? Like do people have this three date rule, for instance? Like is that a thing there? It's so freaking fascinating because you know I have a baby cousin. She's she just turned 24. So she's She's very much in She's a baby. She's in like early dating mode. And she told me that she and most of her girlfriends have no interest of getting married or having kids because infidelity is so rampant. And they've said, you know, what's the point of spending all this time and effort to get married and then having kids when your husband's just going to cheat on you anyway? So she gave me this crazy example. In China, they track everything you do. It's, It's much worse than they do like the US with, you know, Instagram. Yes, you get targeted ads here. But in China, they literally track everything. There are cameras everywhere. They scan your face everywhere. They know exactly what you're doing and where you're going. So as soon as you start, like, let's say you're a married couple and you get pregnant. As soon as you start buying pregnancy stuff or baby stuff online, the man, without a doubt, will get solicitations on their phone with messages like, hey, you feeling lonely tonight? Or you're about to be alone for you know extended hours. Do you want to do something? Or do you want to know what we can do together? These are women who are soliciting to be mistresses for money. <laughs> I don't understand. I know. I see the look <laughs> on your face. But uh, they call this pregnancy infidelity. It's a thing. Interesting. It's like women will, will sell their bodies to men who are horny while their wives are pregnant. This is so sad. This is like... This is so sad. This is terrible. It's terrible (laughs) that your cousin is like, I don't want to pursue love because this is going to happen. This is the result. Oh, she pursues love. She has a man. She's had nonstop boyfriends, but she's making sure that they're not getting her pregnant. And she's making sure that like marriage is not for her right now. Interesting. So she, it's more of like when you get married, this will happen. Yes. And the other crazy shit is this is like the added complication of dating in China is that my cousin's born and raised in Beijing. She's like a hot commodity because if you're born and raised in Beijing, you have the right to buy housing in Beijing. 
nobody else does. Mm. So if you're from out of town and you let's say you work in Beijing, you go to school in Beijing, you want to marry a local Beijinger for the privilege of being able to buy housing in Beijing because real estate in Beijing is extremely expensive, but it just always does well. You're all you're guaranteed to make money. So she's had boyfriends who are not local Beijingers. She's found them their searches online and one guy his search was how long would it take to get my Beijing citizenship, quote unquote, like residency card if I marry a Beijinger. Wow. Like that is the added added complication. So is that on her dating profile or not? <laughs> <laughs> no, she's like trying not to date people okay, who are okay. outside of Beijing because they would use her. Yeah. They would really use her for her identity, you know, as a local Beijinger. It's wild. I mean, everything in China is so transactional right now, but this is like dating is especially transactional. My other cousin, who is a, a man, he is 34, told me that he has no interest in dating at okay. all. And he's looking for a way to raise a kid on his what? own. What? Yeah. He Does he want to come on the podcast? parents. <laughs> I know. I wish he I wish his English were better, but he told me his last time he's never left home. He li- he's lived with parents up until now. He wants to have a kid and bring it into their home and have him and his parents raise the kid together. Why? Yeah. Can I ask why? Like what is has it just been bad experiences? What is the reason to just be so turned off by it? Here's my theory. He will never admit to this. He is extremely spoiled by his parents, Mm. like most single children in China, because we were all part of the one child policy. Okay. So we have no siblings, right? These, and he's a boy. So the family really spoiled him. He comes home from work and his dad will give him a menu. What? To choose from, to order food so his dad can make the food. Stop. Mom does his laundry. Oh my God. Yeah, he'll it, never find a wife that will do this. Yeah, no, no <laughs> wife will ever do that. He knows that too. He knows that no one's going to treat him the way that his parents do. So he's like, why leave the comfort of my parents when they could actually just help me raise a kid? And he wants to have a kid, one, because I think he thinks it could be fun, but two is he wants to be able to have someone to like oh take God. care of him when he's older. Okay, well, for anyone that's dating in the US, <laughs> maybe things don't sound so bad anymore. That's what I'm gathering from all this. <laughs> I think so. I I legit was like, you know what? Thank God I'm not dating yeah. in Beijing. This is so complicated. And there's just like nobody, the marriage rates are down and nobody really believes in love. Everyone's really cynical because it's just so transactional. Everything is about money, money, money. Yeah. I mean, I feel like dating, modern dating is already transactional, not about money per se, but you know, just validation and what you're going to give me and all of that. I can't even imagine it going up a few notches. That sounds terrible. Yes. And the and the very last observation I have, and this is like very much related to everything, Chinese culture is very much about other people in the family. It's very much about the young kids. So if you have young kids, the entire family drops their life for this kid. And that's another reason why my cousin, her generation friends don't want to have kids because they're like, we want to be selfish. Mm. We want to just take care of ourselves. We want to go on trips. 
we see how other couples treat their kids. So for example, my other cousin, who's like similar in age as me, she was so happy to get married because it's like your only opportunity to live outside of your parents' home, right? It's like freedom. You get to live with your husband. Now that they have a kid, they've now moved in oh <laughs> my aunt and uncle into their home yep. to help take care of the kid. So they've come full circle, <laughs> you know? And they live in a two-bedroom apartment that's worth $1.2 million US dollars as a two-bedroom, tiny apartment for adults and a kid, just for this kid. Wow. No. <laughs> And that's why nobody, even now, there's no more one-child policy. Nobody wants to have a second kid. Yeah. Like, why Why you fucking do that? You have no freedom. You have no money. Everything's for the kid. And then the younger generation's like, fuck that. Well. Don't want it. We were talking about how to curb desire. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. Comes try living in a two-bedroom apartment <laughs> with your Instead parents. Instead of being like, actually, it's because of the way I'm wired. It's just like, this is what I grew up with. This is what I saw. I have zero desire to kiss you and to have sex because I don't want to go there. Yeah. I don't I don't want to go there. We can date. We uh-huh. can like go out and eat good food, but that's about it. Well... <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that isn't what at least most of our listeners are dealing with. They're still in. Yeah, we have it really good. Yeah. Okay. We have it really good. It's still the question of like, why isn't this person kissing me? So that's good. We're bringing it back. (laughs) That's where this topic (laughs) is. And I think it's still a very valid question. And why are people making moves? We're going to unpack it all in this episode. It's such a great episode and really excited to dive in with you all. Yeah. Okay. Well, before we get into it, some quick announcements. At Dateable Podcast is our Instagram handle. Give UA and I a gift. Leave us a five-star review. We would love to get to 1K. We've talked about this. We're still like 200 away. I still think we could do it. It's a stretch, but we can do it. We know there's a lot of you out there. It's just who leaves reviews. It's not completely, you know, indicative of the entire population here. That being said, if you haven't done it yet and you love listening to us, please leave us five stars. It goes such a long way. If you don't like listening to us, don't leave us anything. (laughs) Or just go to... Please leave your gift elsewhere. Go to a different podcast. Like, it's okay. We're not going to be everyone's cup of tea. That's okay. There's someone else out there for you. (laughs) Anyways, that's our one ask. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Okay. Well, before we get into it, let's hear a message from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by Via. We all know there are things that can help set the mood in the bedroom, but did you know a little THC could also do that? Yes, Via has developed a unique blend of pleasure-enhancing cannabinoids, libido-strengthening herbs, and a low dose of THC all into one mind-blowing gummy called High Love. This gummy, wow, it will awaken your senses, increase blood flow, and intensify any sexual experience. I've been pleasantly surprised by the High Love gummies because it is just the right amount of THC for me to have a good time without feeling sleepy. And hey, if THC is not your thing, Via also offers a wide array of other gummies without it. And everything legally ships in 50 states with discreet packaging directly to your door. So if you're over 21, you can get 15% off and a free pack of award-winning Dreams THC plus CBN sleep gummies with our exclusive code DATEABLE at ViaHemp.com. That's V 
D-I-I-A-H-E-M-P.com. Let the gummies work their magic. Head to ViaHemp.com and use the code DATEABLE to receive 15% off and one free sample of their sleepy dream gummies. That's ViaHemp.com and use the code D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E at checkout. Take your passion and pleasure to a whole new level with high love from ViaHemp. This episode is made possible by Armoire. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out. Listen, I live in Southern California. There is absolutely no need for puffer coats or any sort of those winter jackets. But when I travel anywhere else in the world in these cold months, I'm often burdened with the task of getting winter clothes. And now with Armoire, I can just rent my winter wardrobe. It's brilliant. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash dateable. That is armoire.style spelled A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O dot C-O. Okay, let's hear it from Mike. Desire. Everyone experiences desire very differently, especially in the context of dating. And it's different in early dating versus once you're in a relationship. So we've got a guest on today, Mike, who's going to tell us about his experience with desire and the difference between responsive desire and spontaneous desire. But first of all, who is this desirable guest we have today? (laughs) His name is Mike. He's 41 years old. He lives in DC, originally from Delaware. He's hooking up and having fun and single and actively going on dates. You're having a great time. Welcome. Welcome to Dateable. I am so happy to be here. Thank you so much. For anybody who can't see Mike, if you're listening to this right now, he's wearing a I am Kenuff sweatshirt, (laughs) which you're the first person I've seen wear. I'm very surprised, but it's a great sweatshirt. Thank you. I'm leaning into my Kennergy, so to speak, and I'm wholeheartedly embracing it. So I'm Kennergized by your Kennergy. Thank you so much. I mean, we appreciate your Kennergy because the whole reason this episode came to be is that Mike pinged me on Facebook and was like, I have a topic idea. And the more you started talking about it, I was like, do you want to just come on and share your story? Because that might be the best way so absolutely yeah i mean i guess maybe to start like from your perspective Mm -hmm. you know you said that you're the type of guy that falls more into this responsive desire and for anyone that's unfamiliar with these terms you kind of need to be like warmed up a bit like spontaneous desire Mm -hmm. you're ready to go yeah 
more responsive, a little more warmed up. And I think in early dating, you know, like so often we expect like instant fireworks or immediate chemistry. Like I've been on dates before and been like, oh, they didn't kiss me goodnight. They must not be interested. I want to hear from your perspective, like falling more in this responsive camp. Like how do you view this impacting your dating life? Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate the question. So I became really interested in the topic of responsive sexual desire from, quite frankly, being very active and open in my local kind of poly ENM kink BDSM community, believe it or not, in the mm-hmm. Washington, D.C. area, which is probably not something people would necessarily expect to hear, but I'm basically someone who has really leaned into the consent culture and the culture of being in the community as someone who basically, I'll just come out and say it, I identify as a submissive man Mm -hmm. when it comes to my dynamics with women. And for people who are less familiar with that, it basically, there's dominance and then there's submission and being more on the submissive end of the spectrum. And it really, I have been told by a lot of people that I'm definitely somebody who pushes the boundaries for traditional heteronormative gender role expectations. But the truth is, it's been a journey for me, and I own it 100%. So I think it's a little bit of a different thing when you're talking about responsiveness, going back to what you said, and being... Mm -hmm kind of a responsive person when it comes to sexual desire. There's somewhat different concepts and I'm certainly not an expert. I'm just an average everyday, you know, guy trying to figure stuff out. But to me, being responsive in my sexual desire and being somebody who identifies in a role as someone who's more on the submissive end of the spectrum, the two things are inextricably linked in my mind. There's a lot of overlap between being responsive and being submissive. And I think that the experiences I've had, primarily positive experiences I've had dating in the DC area, both in a more vanilla context, and we can get into that in the more kink scene, have really given me, I think, a very unique perspective that I can share and offer for dating in general, because I can kind of see both sides of the spectrum. And it's been a fascinating journey. It's been really interesting and a ton of fun, obviously. And this is very nuanced because I think most people, when talking about spontaneous versus responsive desire, they assign it to a gender. Mm -hmm. It's men are more spontaneous, women are more responsive. Right. But you found yourself in a role where you are taking more of that responsive desire. Right. And I think one way for me to conceptualize is is my friend just started dating someone and he's very horny all the time. And my friend is like, I need a little warm up. And I think he came into the room one day just hard. And she's like, whoa, it's 6 (laughs) p.m. If I knew that you want to have sex at 6 p.m., you should have started at 9 a.m. You know, she's like, could have gone back. (laughs) Way to jump from zero to 60 in like two seconds there. Calm down. (laughs) So in your experience, how has that manifested in the dating situations you've been on? Where you kind of pause and say, wow, I'm more of that responsive desire. Yeah. And it's taken me a long time over the years of dating in DC. I mean, I've lived in DC for about 14 years and I've been actively dating slash in long-term relationships off and on pretty much the entire time. So it's been a big, you know, learning process for me to kind of figure out how I fit into all of that. And I think, you know, concretely, 
sort of answer your question about how one of the ways it comes out for me being more, whether you want to call it responsive or being more on the submissive end of the spectrum, I don't typically initiate. I don't typically make the first move. So I was talking with Julie about when we were talking the other day, mm-hmm. when I have a woman who is on a date with me and we're at this point, we've gone a few dates maybe, and we're like back in my place and she's sitting on my couch with me and she's wondering maybe why I'm not, she might feel a little awkward. It might be a little bit of tension, perhaps anticipation. She might be wondering, say, why I'm not making a move. And mm-hmm. I find in those situations, transparency and communication like you guys have talked about is so much the importance of transparency and communication in so many of your episodes. Mm-hmm. I find it especially important in this kind of dynamic because I found that if I just kind of communicate where I'm coming from, where I am, you know, I don't necessarily have to give all the information about things I've obviously done right off the bat, but just enough so that they know that I'm into them. Right. They know that I like them and that the reason I'm not making a move, it's not because I'm not interested, but it's just because I'm oriented to be a little bit more on the submissive end of the spectrum. It doesn't mean I'm not going to make a ton of effort in other ways. I mean, there are a lot of ways I could show love through mm-hmm. physical touch and words of affirmation and all those things that can be really great for a connection, but I'm just not really necessarily going to be comfortable making the first move because that's just not in line with who I am. And that may not be everyone's cup of tea and that's totally okay. But I found I've had really nothing but positive experiences giving the green light to women and letting them know just kind of where I'm coming from. Well, I think the part that you communicated, I've been in this situation before and I remember even like a friend had this guy that just wasn't making moves. And our immediate instinct was he either isn't into you, he's gay, Mm -hmm. he's asexual. And it's like, what about Mm -hmm. just that he operates differently? Like, why was that never something that we even thought about? So I'm glad we're having this conversation because I think a lot of people jump to one of those. No, I appreciate that. And I was just going to piggyback on what you're saying too, because I had a woman who I was going on a date with that I threw a karaoke party in my place and she and I went on a date, sort of a spontaneous thing afterwards. And she was kind of not in that community. So we were talking and she was making that assumption that I was gay, which by the way, totally fine. We obviously live in 2023, but didn't happen to be the accurate assumption. And then we went on sort of another hangout date. I kind of opened up to her and I've been opening up to people more. I mean, this is kind of a big, even just what I'm doing on this podcast right now, this is actually a big thing for me because I'm, I don't want to say coming out, but it's sort of something along those lines and I'm, I'm leaning into that. So it's kind of a big deal and I'm happy to do that, you know, being vulnerable wholeheartedly and just opening up this way. Couldn't pick a better place to do it. Exactly. We're happy to be (laughs) here for you. Thank you. I mean, honestly, I can't imagine how many people are in your position who feel confused, who feel like they have to be inauthentic Mm -hmm. in order to fit a mold. And for you to be here and say you don't have to fit a certain mold just because of your gender or how someone perceives you, it's all about communication. But then my question back to you is, have you dated someone who's also of responsive desire? And then how do two responsives, (laughs) how do they get anything going? I love this question so much because I, obviously, I like I said, I'm straight. I 
identify as straight. But I feel like what you're asking is almost analogous to what you have when you have, from what I hear, not personal experience, but when I hear from a lot of partners and friends who've told me in the queer community that you have two perhaps lesbian or two women who identify as bisexual. And that's the same dynamic. It's like neither one of them wants to make the first move because traditionally, to your point, when you have a guy who's, I hate to say manning up, but it's kind of like that expectation. Mm -hmm. Typically, the man is expected to make the first move. So for better or worse, that does kind of simplify things. But the question you're asking, I think is such a great one. And I have dated women, I think before in the past, when I wasn't as aware of who I was, and I hadn't done the work and the therapy and kind of the self-exploration to be aware, self-aware. It was a lot harder, right? Because I didn't necessarily know who I was. So if you don't know who you are, how are you going to be able to know what you want and connect with other people and to find out whether you're compatible? Because at the end of the day, you guys talk about compatibility, I think really well articulatedly all the time on the podcast. And I think it is all about compatibility, but you can't figure out if you're compatible if you don't know who you are and have that relationship to be connected with yourself. So it's just doing the work. And and yeah, so if in those situations, I have in the past had those scenarios where I've kind of dated women who are similarly submissive or similarly responsive in the way. And sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. But I've also learned by learning more who I am and what I'm looking for, you can kind of be real with people and avoid situations where you might not be compatible and have people gravitate towards you and gravitate towards the people to whom you are compatible with. So that's kind of what I've been doing. Right. And to be clear, like, I think there is this connotation that if you're responsive, you just like aren't as sexual. And I don't think that's true at all. I don't think so either. It's more of just, it takes like a little more warming up, whether that's getting to know someone better or, you know, being in the right environments or whatever it is that gets you there. So it's interesting thinking about like responsive, 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 spontaneous, like I could see pros and cons to both like being paired with different people, right? Like if you're with someone spontaneous, that could bring it out in you, but it also could be a lot of pressure if you're not feeling like that. If you're both responsive, at least you could understand and figure out what the right like setting is and way of slowing down the relationship the right way to like build up to that. Absolutely. Having that foreplay, having the context to like build up to getting to the place where you're both consensually wanting to be. Yeah. Do you think it goes even more than sex? Like initiating, you know, on a first date, like even asking someone out or, you know, having that physical touch or kiss on a date? Like, where do you think the boundaries are of what falls into like more of this responsive method? Yeah, I don't think there's any one size fits all approach to answer your question. I definitely don't think, you know, we say this in the kink BDSM community all the time that next to consent being everything and consent being paramount, another big ism or thing that we say often in the kink community is that there's no one true way to Mm. do anything. And I think the same principle holds true to what you're saying too, in terms of responsive desire. I think communication is everything. I don't, you know, in terms of kissing on a first date or something like that, it's really going to just depend on the circumstances and the chemistry and what is going on with the two people on the date. Like I can tell you that from personal experience, I've had dates where it's been more of a slow burn. And over time we have ended up being in long-term relationships or long-term dynamics where it didn't happen overnight and you just needed to have like for me personally I'm somebody who does tend to need to have an emotional connection 
mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. I really feel comfortable getting into more physical play. But at the same time, context is everything because there have been situations yeah. where I have kissed and done things on the first day. And that's just been, you know, a natural organic thing. But I think at the end of the day, regardless of whether you're spontaneous or responsive or reactive or whatever you want to call it, as long as you communicate and there's consent and the boundaries are respected, that is the most important thing. So what I'm hearing you say is responsive desire, it's not necessarily synonymous with passive or submissive. And I think that's where a lot of confusion is created because someone could be such an aggressive person at work and you see them being like this go-getter and then be a responsive desire type of person. And that probably confuses whoever they're dating because they're like, well, they go after everything else in their life. Why aren't they coming over to hit on me or kiss me? That's where the missing link is. It's the communication because we can't just assume people are who they are just based on their personality. I think you're so on point with that UA. I think that's such a great insight because honestly, I know people who I've known women and other people who identify, frankly, as very dominant. And those are typically types of women that I've gravitated towards and vice versa. But many, you know, it just depends on the person. We're all human beings and we all have different experiences that inform the way we kind of are oriented sexually. And I think it's all interconnected and it just depends on the person. But I know that for a lot of women I've known, they have kind of have to go through life. I mean, not a woman, but just living and you don't need me to kind of mansplain this to you, I'm sure. But like just living your life and like having to deal with catcalling, obnoxious Mm -hmm. men, mansplaining, patriarchy, all those things. One thing about being dominant is it can be a way to kind of bring some balance to the force. So I've known some women who have to be submissive in their everyday lives, whether it's work or they're just getting, Mm -hmm. and the same can be vice versa. I've known some women who are in very dominant positions at work. They're in control. They have to be on their game all the time. So I know a lot of women in that situation sometimes want to just be able to let go and let someone else take control. So I, I know it can go both ways, but it really just depends on the person. And we're all just so different and unique from each other. Yeah. And I know there are stats that like women tend to fall into responsive more times mm-hmm. than in men are more stereotypically in spontaneous. That being said, I would also like not assume anything and question that too, because I think a lot of times like we make assumptions based on that. And then in today's world, people People operate in all different ways. So I'm really glad we're like bringing this up that just like the appearance of someone might not really show what is going on for them. Do you think your desire style could change over time? I think so. Oh, <laughs> I'm curious. Like, yes. <laughs> I'm curious what you both think, but I definitely think mine ebbs and flows. And I think sometimes a lot of it oftentimes doesn't even have to do with like the partner or the person. It's like where I am in life. Like if I'm stressed out or I don't feel good about my body, like those are times where maybe I am like need a little more warm up than like if Mm -hmm. I feel like in other instances that, you know, I'm more ready to go. So I think it depends. And I also think it depends for me, like in different stages of a relationship. Like I feel like I was Mm -hmm. never the initiator when I was dating. Like I would never lean in for the kiss. I wish I was, to be honest. And like, who knows (laughs) if I was date again, like maybe I would be, but historically I was not. And I think a lot of that was brought about not because that was necessarily what's natural to me, 
but because that's what I was told, like, as a woman, you're not supposed to do this to, like, mm-hmm. get the guy, you know, like, that's some of that. So it's hard to break apart what's natural and what you've been told. But then, like, in a relationship, I was much more spontaneous. So it really just depends. And with different people, I think that also changed for me. Yeah, I think, you know, from my standpoint, I think it just depends on the person. Because for me, I've always kind of known that I was more responsive, also more on the submissive end of the spectrum. And this is just how I've been oriented. Even if you frame it more in kind of a BDSM terminology standpoint, some people identify as dominant, some people identify as submissive, other people are more in the middle and Mm -hmm. or they're identify Mm -hmm. as like a switch where you can go back and forth. And that's very contextual because Mm -hmm. I'm not a switch. I don't identify that way, but I know people who do, depending on the dynamic that they're in, the person that they're interacting with, the chemistry that they have with their partner or who they're with, they might be a lion or they might be a lamb, you know, and it just (laughs) can bring out the energy and it can depend on who they're with. So I, I agree with Julie. It depends on the context. For me personally, I'm a little bit atypical, like I was saying, because I've always known I've been submissive. And I think that's just an inherent part of who I am. And I think that is a big part of why it manifests for me in a responsive way. Because there are different things, but I do, I think because I'm submissive, that's a big part of why I kind of am someone who is more responsive when it comes to sexual desire. Just another way to see how layered and nuanced this whole concept is. Because for everyone, probably it just depends on the person, depends on the context, it depends on your face in life. I feel like for me, when it comes to dating, if I've known someone for a long time, Mm. someone's been around for years and we suddenly start dating, Mm -hmm. I can definitely be more of that spontaneous desire because I feel safe. I feel like I can pounce. But if it's meeting someone from a dating app, it takes me a long time to get there. I mean, I think alcohol also plays into it. I'll just put that out there. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that is absolutely. true as well. Yeah. I mean, you were telling me offline, if you're okay saying this, like a story from your 20s, right? Where you were just like a lot more ready to go. Oh, my God. I slept with three strangers in one day in my 20s. In my 20s, I walked into an elevator. This guy said, hello. I turned around, said, hello, want to get breakfast? <laughs> and we went back to his hotel room and had sex. I don't remember his name, but that was in my tw- I would I never, never see you doing that now. <laughs> I, <could laughs> never. I cannot fathom doing that now, but I was just ready to go. Three different guys, the same day. And I remember just being like, man, just like so much sexual energy right now. Mm. How do we just get it out? And it didn't matter who these guys were. It was just, I just needed to get it out. Were you drunk or were you like, had that sexual energy sober? First guy, I was drunk. I was at a wedding. (laughs) And then I guess it just carried from there. It was wild. The most wild 24 hours. I mean, I definitely could relate to that too. I also think there's something about like the more often you have experiences, it keeps going. Like when you're kind of like dormant a little, that's when I become Mm. like more responsive, I think. Mm. Because I've definitely had those like periods where it's just like, okay, we're on a roll here. We're going, we're into it. And I think maybe the energy picks up. I don't know, Mike, if you could relate to that at all, or you're just like, no. Nope, nope. 
<laughs> no, I, I think there's something to be said for, I think I can sort of relate to what you said, because to be honest, full disclosure, my dad passed away about five months ago back in April, which is really hard. And part of the reason why I say that is because it just killed my desire, mm-hmm. just generally speaking, to want to yeah. get out there and date for obvious reasons. I was just in a raw place. So I was very dormant, like you were saying. And you know, when you're dormant, inertia kicks in because it's not like you don't want to continue to connect with Right. But mm-hmm. there's inertia and it kind of feeds onto itself like a cycle. Now, I'm very lucky. I have a huge network of friends and I'm really fortunate and appreciative to have, thankful to have people who've been in my corner and family too. But at the same time, like I can understand what you're saying because when you're dormant, yeah, like it can become, what do you want to call it, a dry spell or whatnot. Yep. It can change the way you approach dating in terms of how responsive you are. So maybe right. UA and I are more on the switch side, baby. <laughs> Just okay. Right. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so if you're the type, because this you brought this example up in like our moderator, Janice, I'll give her a shout out. She's made multiple comments about this in the Facebook group that we have around just like how even if she is so into you, she's not going to be kissing you and like making moves on the first date just because that's like how she operates. Like she needs Mm. that time to warm up. And sometimes like people don't understand that. What advice like would you give to like maybe someone that's dating someone or, you know, starting to date someone that's more responsive? Like how do you kind of make it a little less personal and also get your needs met though too at the same time? Yeah, I just think having that knowledge of your saying and being aware of how people are. I mean, I think another way of looking at it from the standpoint I come from is that people, I know people who identify as demisexual. Mm -hmm. And of course, for people who don't know demisexual, I'm again, not an expert, but people who need typically don't experience spontaneous sexual desire unless it's more that you have to have an emotional connection beforehand with that person. And I would say that if you're dating someone like that, assuming that that's something that you're compatible with, you know, please be patient, respect their boundaries. You know, a big part of consent is not being pushy. And that's how I approach it because I'm someone who take, you know, I've always just as part of just, I think being a decent human being, just don't be pushy. Don't be Mm -hmm. that guy, but also, you know, just know that it's not personal to your point that you made as well, Julie, like just because she's not liking your thirst traps on Facebook doesn't mean that she's not interested, right? (laughs) Somebody, I saw someone say that the other day and I thought that was a phenomenal point. It's a very wise point that was well stated. That doesn't mean they're not interested. It just might take a while and, you know, being patient and understanding and communication on both sides. I think both sides, it's important to communicate. That's so fascinating. You Mm -hmm. bring thirst traps up because like, I feel like that's something (laughs) like if someone posted, I would, even if I thought they were like the hottest, most attractive person ever, it would do nothing for me. Nothing. And it just shows you like how different things turn people on. And we make a lot of assumptions like, oh, because they weren't into my thirst traps, they're not a sexual person. And that is not true. Like, if you don't want to kiss someone on a first date, you may be the most sexual person once you're in a relationship and comfortable. Like, we make so many assumptions. Like, we've heard people say, I don't want to stereotype guys, but I think I've heard this more from guys. Like, I want to, like, suss out at the beginning if they're a sexual person. And it's like, Mm -mm. you could uncover the most sexual person ever in, like, those first couple dates you wouldn't know it 
Sometimes the quietest people are the most sexual people. (laughs) Yeah, maybe we should talk about that because I am curious in early dating, how do you gauge someone's desire style? Like, how do you even bring, are you like, ooh, does it take you a while to get so awkward? Like, that'd be so awkward. Yeah, that would be super creepy and awkward. (laughs) But the way I look at it is, it takes time. And and again, I'm just approaching it from my kind of standpoint as maybe not someone who's demisexual necessarily, but someone who takes a while to want to be comfortable in myself and who wants the woman to be comfortable because that's important, you know, as it should be. So for me, I don't like to typically get into that kind of stuff very fast. And I don't see the rush. Like, what's the rush? I know it's hard to put like a time Mm. frame on this, but like, what are you talking about in terms of like how typically how long it takes you to like be more interested in someone? I know it could be quite a range, but. It's such a range. It really just depends on the situation I've had. Mm. I have had hookups and one night stands on the first date, but I've also, especially in the past when I felt more pressured to kind of conform to the gender roles and stereotypes, Mm. but I've also had like, I mean, there've been times when I waited to the fourth, fifth date, sixth There was a woman who I dated for four years and we were engaged for eight months. And I don't think I made the first, and that was more just a regular long-term relationship, monogamous kind of thing. She was amazing, but I don't think I made any kind of move on her at all until maybe the third or fourth date. And she was definitely dropping hints and it was very sweet. (laughs) And I just wanted us both to be comfortable and I would say it worked out pretty well. Well, the reason I ask is because like, it's just so crazy to me with dating. It's like we expect everything to happen like immediately, right? Mm-hmm. When you talk about three, four dates, like we're talking about like three weeks, four weeks, like if you're seeing each other on a weekly basis, which is typical, like maybe a little more, maybe a little less. But when you think about it, a month is like nothing in the yeah. grand scheme of your life. And the fact that we expect people to like share their desires and like how they operate on date one is actually kind of crazy when you think about it 100 it's cringy it's crazy in my <laughs> personal opinion because it's so much pressure and then like if you're like a month in to ua's point like how do you start to have that conversation in a way that's like more natural that's just sharing about yourself i'm gonna begin to sound like a little bit like a broken record and i apologize for that up front <laughs> but it really depends on the situation and i say that truly genuinely like there hasn't been any one way i've done it but i typically if we're making out or like we made out once or twice or we're kind of like sitting on the couch next to each other like i was saying earlier and she's wondering perhaps maybe she's supposed she's wondering why I'm not making a first move and we've been on a few dates and we're like in her bedroom cuddled up in her bed but I haven't done anything I'll bring it up I like this suss it out I like to feel Mm. I pay attention to other things that she does like I want to feel safe too because it's not because there is still some stigma out there we know that's the case we've come a long way I think in today's day and age and I think the larger community is actually really eager to welcome sex positive and body positive people as they are in terms of like LGBT, poly, kink, et cetera, I feel like we've come a long way in our society, especially in city, big cities like DC, mm-hmm. but I think everywhere too. But there's still a ways to go. And I think there's a lot of misconceptions, but I always like to look at how inclusive they are in general. Like if they're making comments that are kind of derogatory, then I'm probably not going to gravitate towards them, frankly, at all. But it's also like, because I want to have that, I'm not going to feel connected to them emotionally, mm-hmm. but chances are they're probably going to be someone that I've vetted. 
And they're going to be people who are open in general. And there are ways I can kind of say things indirectly to kind of get a better idea, see how they react, right? Like if they react in a way that's open-minded, you know, then I'll give them more information. And it's scary, right? It can be, it takes vulnerability, but I'll be like, yeah, I mean, I'm somebody who identifies more on the submissive end of the spectrum. Not that different from kind of how I'm talking about it now, because honestly, at the end of the day, it's only awkward if you make it awkward. Mm, Yeah, that's true. Let's hold that thought for a quick message. We are so excited to share with you our new podcast, Exit Interview. Dates don't usually end with a satisfaction survey, and yet we rate everything in our lives, from Uber drivers to local coffee shops. So why don't we do the same thing when dating? We're here to conduct the ultimate romance review, featuring daters hungry for love who have agreed to call up old flames to gather honest feedback. Welcome to Exit Interview. He upgraded himself to business class while I was in economy. <laughs> Wait, wow. What? There's feedback that will make you cringe. She could be a little bit hard-headed, like not reading the writing on the wall. And feedback that will make you swoon. But she said that she had feelings for you. I had no idea. Really? And maybe you'll learn a thing or two yourself about how you can be a better dater, lover, or partner. Obviously, like, knew I was going to learn something. I didn't expect this. Welcome to Exit Interview. Listen to Exit Interview on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You did say something earlier, which I really want to double click into because I find this so fascinating. By being part of the BDSM and poly community, it's actually heightened your awareness Mm -hmm. of your desire style and how to even talk about it and communicate about it. And meeting people in that community it's almost like you have less explaining to do because everyone's like, yeah, yeah, responsive, spontaneous, submissive. Yeah. We've also heard the same from people who use the dating app field. Even if they're as quote unquote vanilla as it comes, they love the interactions they have on that dating app because everyone's very understanding yeah. and inclusive. So I like to hear your experience of how has this community helped you reach that higher level of self-awareness? I appreciate the question. I think being immersed in the kink BDSM community as someone who's just, it's forced me to become a better human being. And I think Mm. I'm a better person, whether it's dating on field, whether it's dating on Bumble, whether it's going on dates on Hinge, or just being with women and being with people, sharing space with other human beings in any setting with friends, going out to parties, hanging out, whatever, going out to bars, whatever, interacting with other people. It's made me a better communicator and a better person because I'm better with boundaries. I'm more confident. I personally think that being in the kink BDSM community has honestly enriched my life in so many ways that go way beyond sex, way beyond play, way beyond kink. It just made me a better person overall. And it's improved my relationships with people. I've been more comfortable with who I am as a person expressing myself. I mean, if I would have looked back at myself even a year ago, much less five, 10 years ago, and seeing myself doing what I'm doing now, I would just laugh. I wouldn't even believe it. I mean, it's crazy. Mm. So I think it's done a lot for me. Well, it's like this terminology is not used in heteronormative relationships at all. Like, I feel like even when we talked to Dr. Emily Nagoski about this, like, 
it still wasn't common knowledge. It was more of like scientific speak, right? It wasn't like the day-to-day language that we're putting around this. And then when she brought it up, I was like, oh yeah, you're either on or it takes a little time, right? But like, that's Mm -hmm. not stuff we think about. And I think even when you reached out to me, I was like, oh yeah, like it does impact even the most early stage dating because we have all these expectations that really come from, you know, heteronormative point of view is like, we expect the guy to go in for the kiss, right away all this stuff that just like doesn't actually always happen and like I'm actually really glad I met my partner during COVID because like I feel like in that time all these expectations were dropped like when I went into that Mm. date I was like I'm not gonna kiss him because like I'm not kissing anyone right now (laughs) (laughs) but I think he was the type of person that probably wouldn't have kissed me even though he was into me just because that's how he is. Mm. And I would have been like, oh my God, he didn't kiss me. Is something wrong? Like, does he not like me? You know, like go into Mm. that like loop. And I think like we need to just like be a little more like we're not one size fits all. We don't know someone after 20 minutes to an hour of being with them on a date. Like we just make so many assumptions so quickly. Exactly. To your point that you both made earlier, just trying to be more open and being aware of some of these stereotypes in society that really don't necessarily apply to a lot of people out there, myself included, and just not making assumptions and just trying to be open-minded. But I agree. Can you give us an example of a time where you were misunderstood? Yeah, I think back when I was not as aware of who I was and I didn't have my own tools, like emotional tools and ability to communicate on my end to kind of explain like, this is where I'm coming from. And so it's not you. One woman I dated, this was before I dated my ex-fiance, but we had a great relationship. There was a lot of misunderstanding because I was still in the journey of self-discovery. So like we would be together and she would be like, why is he not, you know, making a move on me? And I did communicate with her as best I could, but I just didn't know myself as well as I do now. I just think that doing the work and being aware of yourself, being self-aware, like I said before, the more you're aware of yourself, the more you can be yourself with other people. It's hard because mm. then like I can see because I think I've been here before then you get in your own head like am I attractive enough and it's yeah. like this has nothing to do with you when you really step back yeah. on it. <laughs> try to words of affirmation just let them know how attractive you think they are that's I try to do that as yes. much as possible. That's reassure important. them you know reassure her as mm-hmm. much as as I can but you know sometimes it's just hard. Outside of time and just building that connection, like, is there other ways that someone can start to make someone that has maybe more responsive desire feel more comfortable and get more of the mood to make moves? Or is that something that's just like someone else can't control and this really has to come from the other person? I think if you're aware that that person is more responsive and needs a little more time, I mean, aside from just respecting their boundaries and communicating, I think foreplay is always a really mm-hmm. good mm-hmm. and whatever form that may take, whether it's giving her foot massage, back massage, whatever she wants you to do. I mean, whatever she consents to, you know, or you he, just do it. Yes. Or he, you know, to be fair, I'm only, you know, totally true, like valid. Like I can only speak from my own experiences, yeah. but you're absolutely right. Or whatever, however people identify, you know, gender wise, all inclusive. But point 
being like, you know, for me, I, maybe it's a little easier because I identify as a more submissive, responsive person from the get-go, but the advice I would give, you know, whatever dynamic you're in, whoever you're seeing, foreplay can definitely be a really good way to warm things up because mm-hmm. you don't want to just go from zero to 60 and be pushy. You want to get consent and you want to take it slow because what's the rush, right? That's catering to the responsive person. Mm-hmm. What about catering to the spontaneous person? <laughs> You've been in that position before. What's a good way to compromise with them? I kind of feel like personally, the person who wants to take longer, I personally think they should trump whatever goes on. And this is just my own personal opinion, because I'm, I'll say full disclosure, I am a survivor. And I think the trauma that I carry as a survivor yeah. is a big part of why I'm into the mm. kink scene and why I'm in the submissive side. So I would personally say, I don't think there's any need to compromise. But again, mm-hmm. I know that that may be a controversial opinion, right. but that's how I feel. And yeah. I don't think anybody should feel pressured to speed things up. I think it should be consent based. Absolutely agree, especially like on the the first time too and you know getting over that but like let's say you're in a relationship with someone like how do you find ways to you know not yeah. feel like you're compromising not feeling like you're being like pushed but also that both parties needs are getting met or is it just not right. possible if you can hit that point <laughs> i think it depends on the dynamic and the situation i mean this is also where you kind of look a little bit beyond just two parties potentially too assuming that's something that people are over into I mean, it might be just a communication. There might be compromise in some situations. And I think that's very true. In, in some relationships, you know, you can make it work. I am very much on the submissive end of the spectrum. So if I were to be put in the position, and I've been there before where the woman is like, I want you to be more dominant. I've learned that I just can't do that right. because it's not right. who I am. So if you want to see someone else who can feel yep. that need, mm-hmm. go for it. But I'm not the jealous type. By all means, do your thing. I think it just depends on the situation because I do fall on a very extreme end of the spectrum where I'm very submissive. Yeah. I mean, I think what I'm hearing here too is that there isn't like a cut and dry black and white because it's so different too. Like some of it's who you are as a person. I think that's a compromise that no one should make, right? Like you should never compromise who you are as a person. And then we were also talking about how like you might be more responsive at the start when you don't know someone versus when you're fully in a relationship. So it could change depending on the scenario or maybe it's like, you know, for sex, it takes longer to warm up, but you're open to handholding or whatever it might be. Like, I think what I'm gathering from all this is that the spectrum is wide. I think the biggest takeaway I have is to really make no assumptions and talk about it. I liked what you said before. It's only awkward if you make it awkward. Yeah. That's, I think, a really good takeaway. Because, like, I feel like I don't really identify as someone responsive. If anything, when I've taken quizzes or whatnot before, I've been more on the spontaneous side. Yeah. That being said, when I met my partner, like, I didn't want to rush things. Like, I wanted to take my time. And because of, like, you know, I hadn't slept with someone in a while after a past breakup. And I just communicated that. And it wasn't awkward. And he was responsive respectful and you get to see to the side of someone like you know if they meet you where you're at that's very different than someone's like either ditches you or forces you or pressures you like you learn so much about them I think the other big takeaway I have is like we just expect dating to happen at lightning speed even when we're talking about slowing down 
we're not talking about like years of your life of not like sleeping with someone or having any physical contact. We're talking about like giving it a little more time than the first date or, you know, the three date rule. Like, of, I mean, who made up that rule? It's so arbitrary and yeah. ridiculous that you should sleep with someone after three dates when you've known them for three weeks of your life. Like, when you think about it, it's kind of crazy. So <laughs> yeah, I think that's my takeaway is just like, let's put everything in perspective and also not make assumptions just because someone's not ready to go today. It doesn't mean that they're not interested. It doesn't mean that they might be the most sexual person in the world when you've been together and they feel safe and they're in a relationship with you. No assumptions. You never know. No assumptions. Yeah, you never know. You never know. Before I go into my takeaways, I'm curious to hear from both of you. Do you think a desired discrepancy could be a deal breaker in a relationship. An example is Mm. I had a girlfriend years ago who said, I'm dating this guy. He is amazing in every which way. I just wish he could be more dominant in the Mm. bedroom where he throws me onto the bed or he throws me against the wall. I just need a little bit more of like him to take initiative and be more sexual. I mean, I guess I'll give you my take. I'm curious to hear yours, Mike. I think like it really like you have to think about this in relation to your whole relationship like is it a deal breaker is this the most important thing to you in your relationship i think that's where it becomes a deal breaker or not that being said like if it's something that like you just are two different personalities and you decide like i need this in a relationship then maybe you aren't compatible because i don't think you can force someone to, you can't change people and i don't think that's fair to change people you just have to figure out to you and your partner like where does this fall on the important scale. I totally agree. I mean, I think it just depends on how important it is to the people involved in the relationship. And it's not fair to either person to try to force someone to be something they're not. And I think in some cases, it might be workable. I mean, I've known people in the kink community, like I said earlier, who identify on more of the switchy end of the spectrum, and they tend to have it pretty good, I think, in my opinion, because it works out pretty well. But that's not (laughs) who I personally am. And that's okay. In some cases, to Julie's point, yeah, you just might not be compatible. But I think there are also other ways to like to make it work if people are open to that. But it just depends on what people are comfortable with. What do you think? I asked that question because at the time when she asked this, I asked her this question back. I said, is it because you expect the man to do that? And I think sometimes our expectations of these gender roles... do play into what we think we want. And ultimately, I think for me throughout the years in dating, I realized I am the more dominant one. I am the one initiating. And I used to want someone to initiate, be the one to, you know, come after me and like throw me onto the bed. I just fucking do that now. Right. I I realized that's just who I am. I am the same. I feel the same way. (laughs) But it's like, if I desire that, not in a partner, it's like, I desire that for myself. So I go after that now. It's only because of those years and years of gendered conditioning that I thought, oh, really need the man to do that? That really fucked with me. Yeah. And you're not supposed to do it. That's what we've been told too, is like, if you are someone that is more dominant, like you have to like suppress that as a woman. And just the same way on the opposite end of the spectrum as a man, you know, where I've often been told, be more dominant, man up. 
don't be the passive one, mm-hmm. you know, don't have emotions, don't do this and don't do that. Mm-hmm. But like, I, there's definitely an element, I agree, of like gender roles and societal brainwashing. I think it depends on the person. I think some, at mm-hmm. least just in my experience, I've encountered many women, just for me yeah. personally, who have learned more about themselves. And as they realize what they actually want, it's different from what society has yes. told them that they should Absolutely. do to you at this point. Yeah. yeah. But I've also met women who are just like, this is the way I am. This is yeah. how I'm oriented. It's ingrained in me. I want a man who's going to throw me around and it's like, okay, well you do you, but at least yeah. as long as it's, that's who you are, you know? And that's just like, so I really think again, it really just depends. And that's why it's so important not to make assumptions and to be open to the theme of the episode. That is another one is like knowing yourself and actually getting more acquainted with some of this language too, even if you're not in the kink BDSM community, because like, I would so much rather someone be like, I thought about it. And I actually do want the guy to like do all this stuff versus like, oh, that's just what happens, you know, in a relationship. I think we really need to take a step back and think about like, what do I actually need and want? And also too, like the reality is even if you do want someone to be a little more dominant, you're not going to get everything. Like you said, everything from the same person. So you either accept Mm. certain things if you're more monogamous, like that's just part of it. Maybe it's not ideal, but you're like, this isn't a deal breaker. Or if you're more poly and open, you find it in different people. Like those are the options. I think no one is going to be perfect and meet every need you have. Yeah. Cause you're not going to meet every need that your partner has right. either. Like, none of us are going to be able to satisfy that. Why I am so obsessed with this conversation is because we often talk about behavior and personality in the bedroom, but we skipped the step of desire. Right. I think desire is so different than sex. It's the initial steps to having sex or not to have sex. It's the initial steps to intimacy. So I think it's so great to take a step back and ask, what is my desire style? How do I desire? How do I create desire before we think about sexual compatibility and what's happening in the bedroom. We just skip way too many steps. And having that self-awareness is important. And then asking why, why do I like that? Separating the why do I like that versus why I think I should like that, right? Putting those in two different buckets and then go on to what do I desire in a partner in terms of desire? And then asking the same questions. Why do I like that in someone or why do I think I should like that? in someone. I think that would just help tremendously to build up that self-awareness. And when we speak about it with someone we're dating, we can be a lot more intentional with our words versus you need to man up. (laughs) Like that is, I don't know. I don't have a penis, but my penis would be soft if someone told me to man up. (laughs) So it's like man up in the bedroom. It's horrible. (laughs) Right? That is terrible. (laughs) That's a terrible thing to say. So our words do matter and they do build up desire or take it down. So we need to be more intentional with our words. I'm still reeling in this conversation. I think I'm going to be talking about this <laughs> for weeks with my friends and people around me. But Mike, for you, any last words for anybody who's this is top of mind for them and they want to be more intentional about it? You know, you got to do the work. I hate to sound like I'm lecturing, but I think at the end of the day, just at least from my standpoint, being self-aware, I do therapy twice a week and I do a lot of that inner work to kind of be more aware of who I am, to be able to like communicate with other people. And I think that's just good for any kind of relationship, friendships, you name it, like in any kind of community, I think it's just 
knowing who you are, just being able to not make assumptions and also just communicate, you know, with other people and connect with people. We're all human beings. Consent is everything. And it's only awkward if you make it awkward. <laughs> line of the day i mean i think in dating it's like for whatever reason we forget to communicate and we make assumptions like yeah. those are the two biggest things if we can stop doing that and i think this communication especially like adding this vocabulary to your language is good but even being more human about it too of like even being able to just say like I want to kiss you, but it takes me a couple dates. I'm really attracted to you, but I'm just yeah. not there yet. Like The more you can be explicit of what it is that you're thinking too, because like we said, this is all on a spectrum. So I don't want people to walk away and say like, I need to say I'm either responsive or spontaneous. Like it doesn't <laughs> need to be that black and white either. It's just understanding yourself in different contexts and sharing that. Yeah. I've done that very thing. As recently as a, a month ago, I was with a woman and I told her, I really do want to kiss you. I just like to take a little bit of time yeah. to get comfortable. And that changed everything. She appreciated that. And it doesn't have to be like all scientific speak. It doesn't have <laughs> yeah. to be all like technical. You can just talk to people like human beings, you know, what a concept. And like, like you're saying, it's just <laughs> it like is a concept of dating. <laughs> yeah. Right. Fortunately, you're not wrong. It is. But yeah, just, just treating people like yeah. humans and communicating. And you're taking the guesswork out of it too. You're basically saying like, you probably think I'm not interested, yeah. but I am interested, but here's how I work. So what a delicious conversation. I'm loving this. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mike, for coming on our show and for sending in yeah. this topic. It's a fascinating topic. It's great to have your personal experience on this too. And for our listeners who are interested in more of this topic, why don't you leave us a rating and review <laughs> in Apple Podcasts, five stars, and say something like, I want more of this. <laughs> Let's talk more about this topic because we love talking about this. So that's always a great way. Or you just want to give us some feedback or something you learned in this episode, or you just, you can write, it's only awkward if you make it yes. awkward. Just write that. Yeah, there we go. That's the catchphrase. That's all you need to do. <laughs> there you go. Very easy. Or you can also, if you have any topic requests or ideas, you can email us hello at datablepodcast.com or you can DM us on Instagram at datablepodcast is the handle. All right. With that, we're going to wrap up this episode. Stay Datable! The Datable Podcast is part of the Frolic Media Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram at Datable Podcast and visit datablepodcast.com for access to all the episodes and our premium programs. Also, make sure to subscribe today if you haven't already on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform so you are the first to get all the latest episodes. And most importantly, Stay dateable. Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving, plus high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O dot C-O.